Good to be with you all uh, this morning, and uh, we're very thankful for your prayers for us. Uh, we feel them, and very thankful for your pastor uh, who serves on our home missions committee. So it's good to be with you this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, first uh, Luke chapter 22, and then Exodus chapter 4. I'll read the scripture, and then I'll do the prayer for illumination in a minute. Uh, Luke 22, verses 41 through 44. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's the reading of God's word. If you will turn with me to Exodus chapter 4, my sermon text this morning, Exodus 4, 1 through 20. Give your attention to God's word. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him." And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God. In his hand. 
That's the reading of the word. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. We thank you that it is a powerful word, that, Lord, you are uh, one who speaks through your word by your spirit, uh, that your word does not return void, but that you accomplish all that you purpose for it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be be pleased uh, to bring faith uh, through your word. Faith comes by hearing. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, soften our hard hearts and give us hearts that are receptive and submissive to your word, that sit under it, that delight in your word. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your word. Lord, we pray that you would bless this time and even be pleased to bring to life those that are still dead in sins and trespasses. We ask all this resting on our Savior, our great high priest, Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Please do have a seat. Well, I imagine I won't get an opportunity to preach uh, here all that often, maybe once or twice a year. But uh, if you have heard me preach before, you know that I like to start out with questions. And so the question that I would pose to you this morning as we begin is, uh, have you ever felt like uh, you were unfit to do something that you had to do or that you really wanted to do, felt like you needed to do. There are some situations that we find ourselves in where we feel utterly unqualified and we don't know how to deal with the situation or the circumstance that we're in or the calling that we have at that time. Sometimes we feel like misfits and if Uh, I had time to do a children's illustration. I would talk about little Legos and how my children like to play with Legos and they they mismatch the arms and the legs and uh, make all these little minifigures look strange. And sometimes we feel like we were made in a particularly strange way. We don't understand ourselves. Now, perhaps you're saying, oh, well, not me. Um, Perhaps this congregation is special. Perhaps you have your own... Uh, Captain Americas and Wonder Women, but this is an OPC church, and the OPC has been known to have some misfits. Um, Sometimes we feel unfit on a professional level. Perhaps you've heard of imposter syndrome, where you doubt your capacity to do a job. You fear being exposed as a fraud. I have to say that uh, in this new role, I've been feeling that a little bit. I have this calling to be a missionary, an evangelist. And I'm uh, starting, a, a, I started back in October, a PhD uh, program part-time. After 13 years of being out of school, it's easy to feel unfit. And so if you've ever felt unqualified or oddly made, then we have good news here in Exodus 4 that you're not the first one to feel that way. Moses came first. We hear in Exodus 4 He looks at himself, and he looks at what he's called to do, and he says, I can't do this. I'm unfit. I'm a misfit. And so we're going to see my first point this morning is going to be a servant who protests. A servant who protests. And then as we see God's response to Moses in chapter 4, I hope you'll see our great God in three particular ways. First, he is a God who changes reality. Secondly, he is a God who changes people. And then third, finally, he is a God who does not leave you alone. And so as we think about this first point, 
uh, servant who protests. We're jumping right into Exodus 4, and I'm sure you know the story of Exodus up to this point. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and yet God has a plan. He's raising up a deliverer. Moses is saved from death as a child, and yet at this point, it doesn't seem like he's amounting to much of a deliverer. The only way that he can seem to help the Israelites, a fellow Israelite, uh, is up to this point murder. And so uh, he has had to flee Egypt, and yet God is gracious. He's not done with Moses. He's not leaving his people in slavery in Egypt. And so here uh, in chapter 3 of Exodus, God is speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, and he's revealing his plan of salvation. And our chapter, chapter 4 of Exodus, is part of this conversation. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 10, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, Moses isn't convinced that this is a good plan. He's not on board with the plan. He protests and he says, who am I that I should go? Who am I that I should go? Suppose that is often how we feel when God calls us to do the various things he calls us to do as Christians, as lights in this dark world. Perhaps it's how some of you feel when faced with the prospect of sharing your faith with others, with evangelism. Who am I that I should go? And I want you to see how God flips this around, reminding Moses that it's not about who you are, it's about who God is. It's not about what we can do, but it's about what he can do. He is the Lord. Uh, When it's translated, it's I am. In Exodus 3.14, notice Moses' who am I that I should go gets flipped around. God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Isn't our problem so often as as Christians, as people living in this sin-scarred world, that we're looking to ourselves when we should be looking to God? And I say this as someone who feels very similar to Moses, very sympathetic to Moses in this section. I echo him all too often. We look to our own understanding. We look to our own resources. When God says, trust in me, look to me, rest on me. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul and his companions say that they felt like they were under the sentence of death. And it says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. Well, even though Moses has this revelation of who God is, a bit like Jonah later in Bible, Moses keeps putting up reasons to say no to God. And if there'd been a ship to Tarshish around, I suspect here Moses would have tried to get on it and board and run away from this calling. And so, once again, in chapter 4, as our chapter opens, verse 1, we see Moses continuing to resist God's recruitment. And he says, people aren't going to listen to me. Now, you have to remember, God doesn't really need Moses, does he? He doesn't really need any of us. God has a thousand other servants that he could use. I I think about the poet John Milton, who uh, lost his eyesight by age 43, and in a poem called On My Blindness, he laments that he can't uh, serve God the way that he wants to see because his sight has been taken. And yet he realizes 
God has thousands of others that he can command. He doesn't need me. Here, God could just move on from Moses at this point, right? That's what we would do. That's what we so often do. We write people off at the first pushback. Uh, After they disappoint us, we write them off, we cancel them, we move on, and yet God doesn't give up on Moses. God loves Moses, graciously accommodates him by giving him these signs. These uh, three signs that we're going to see are not only to show Moses of what God could do, but they're signs that Moses can do when he goes back to Egypt to prove that the Lord is with him. Signs to prove uh, that God is powerful. And so God begins this by calling attention to something very ordinary, Moses' shepherd's staff. And the Lord says, what is in your hand? And he says, a staff. Now, I want you to pick up on something. Of course, God doesn't ask that question because he doesn't know the answer. Uh, God asks questions again and again of human beings to draw our attentions to things. He's drawing Moses' attention to how he is going to turn something ordinary into something extraordinary. And here, God shows Moses, and he shows us, that he is a God who changes reality. Now, this staff that God calls Moses' attention to was probably something that he'd been using for his 40 years of sojourning and shepherding. It's probably from an almond tree. It had been lifeless. It had been dead, perhaps for 40 years. And it's going to be a great irony that God uses this dead piece of wood to humble the Egyptians. But such is our God. He uses things we don't expect like Christ crucified. He manifests his power uh, in love, in Christ bearing our sins on that accursed tree that was the cross. God is a God who gives life to the lifeless and dead. And it was Moses' staff, that dead rod of wood, that later in Exodus 7 would swallow up the rods of the Egyptian magicians, proving that our God, the Lord, is exalted above every power. And you see that in the three signs that uh, God manifests here. First, Moses runs away after he throws his staff to the ground and it turns into a snake. And then he catches it at God's command and it becomes a harmless staff again. And if God has power over what a thing is, whether it's a snake or a staff, then the next sign shows that he has power over health and life and disease. Uh, Moses puts his hand to his heart. He brings it out with a skin disease, and then he puts it back to his heart for restoration. This is like the first. It's showing us the changing of something harmless into something harmful or dangerous or deadly, and then being changed back again. God can change reality in an instant. God can solve the most complex problems that seem to us to be too much. Well, if people don't believe Moses after these first two signs, the third one is that he is to take water from the Nile and pour it out on the ground and watch it become blood. And we know, of course, that this is foreshadowing the first plague that God brings upon the Egyptians in chapter 7, where the water from the Nile is turned into blood. And that was significant, of course, to the Egyptians who saw the Nile as the source of life in their region and their prosperity. And the point that we can draw from all these signs as God interacts with Moses here is that instead of looking at yourself, instead of looking at your flaws and your inabilities, you should look to God's power 
to change everything and anything. And the next we see in this chapter, a God who changes people. A God who changes people. Now, think about this. After all these signs, Moses should be ready to go, right? He should be satisfied. God has shown him everything that he's going to do to show that Moses is sent by God. Problem solved, right? I think you're probably guessing uh, where I'm going with this. Um, does, does Moses say, let me at him? No. Um, look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Now, I think up to this point in the chapter, in the narrative, we're all pretty sympathetic with Moses. Um, his pushback is somewhat understandable for us. And if we're being charitable, it doesn't necessarily stem from doubt about God, maybe just doubt about how he's going to be received by the people of Israel. And it's possible that his uh, questioning here is part of the etiquette of the, uh, the, etiquette of the time. It's a ritual protesting. Um, in other words, Moses may or may not have truly had a speech defect, like stuttering. Remember how Stephen in the New Testament, Acts 7, talks about Moses. He says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in his words and deeds. Maybe it was just that the hardship of the task intimidated Moses. And so in relation to it, he says, I'm, I can't speak. I'm slow of speech. I don't know. Think, think about the fact that Moses doesn't start out with this objection but that he ends with it. When it came down to it, Moses just doesn't seem to want to go and do what God is calling him to do. He doesn't want to embark on this risky mission, and so he keeps making excuses. And I think you can imagine yourself in his shoes. Perhaps you've resisted God when it was clear from his revealed will and his word what you had to do. Perhaps you've given the Lord excuses. Whatever actual weaknesses Moses may have had when it comes to speaking, verse 13 makes it clear that at this point, he just doesn't want to do what God is calling him to do. Look at verse 13. Moses says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Please send someone else. Can you understand saying that to God? Perhaps you've said the same thing. I'm, I'm a parent. I've got uh, five kids, as you, you can see, and some of them are still in diapers. And I've felt that, uh, please, can't someone else change this diaper? <laughs> can't someone else do the dishes today? Can't someone else do what needs to be done? Pastors feel this. Can't someone else confront this problem? Perhaps you're a caretaker for a sick spouse or someone, a relative. Perhaps you can think of situations where you have felt that. Can't someone else do this? Please, send someone else. Perhaps that's how you feel about sharing your faith with people around you when God gives you opportunity. Can't someone else do this? I'm thinking about this in terms of encouraging churches to plant other churches, to daughter churches. It's easy for us to say, 
Please send someone else to that daughter church. Send someone else to be the overseeing session. In various ways, we can understand where Moses is coming from because we've said the same thing in our hearts so many times. Lord, please send someone else. Now, it's really possible that Moses did have a speech problem. Uh, And if so, it shows us that God can overcome whatever weaknesses we have. That he uses weak, helpless, powerless people to do great things. I don't know about that, but I do know this. That either way, Moses' biggest problem is not his lack of abilities, but it is his heart. There's a movie about 10 years ago called The King's Speech, where a British king gets training, he overcomes his stutter so that he can uh, give a great momentous speech. And so we can ask this question, is that what Moses needs? Does he need training to overcome a speech impediment? We know that Moses will go to Pharaoh. And when Moses speaks for God, it is truly the king's speech, but not because Moses had a speech impediment to overcome. It's because God overcame his heart impediment. And do you see the same thing is true for you and for me? We're just like Moses. Our biggest problem is not our crooked nose or our poverty or our wealth or our lack of abilities. Our deepest disability is a sinful heart that resists God, that resists doing the difficult things that he calls us to do. And that's a a problem that's really more serious than we often admit. Continuing to resist God is the road to condemnation, to hell. If you look to yourself continually instead of looking to God and resting on Him, you have no hope. But thankfully, part of the good news of the gospel is that God can and does give us new hearts. That His Holy Spirit is the changer of hearts. And this, this doesn't downplay when God does give you hardships, when He does make you slow of speech or blind or mute. But whatever other hardships you have in life, They are theaters in which God's glory can be displayed. His his grace is shown to be sufficient in weakness. It's like treasures in jars of clay or like Paul's thorn in the flesh, which shows that the surpassing power comes not from him, not from us, but from God. They're opportunities, your hardships, for God's power to be manifested in you and among you. And it seems to me that Exodus 4 challenges how we view ourselves and our problems To use the words of quadriplegic Joni Erickson Tata, she says, maybe the truly handicapped people are the ones who think they don't need God as much. One of the most beautiful articles that I've read is titled The Island of Misfit Toys. And here a woman uh, talks about her experience. She carries a child to term that the doctor said uh, was not expected to live past birth. And so the mother of this little boy with a facial deformity who likely won't live beyond a year or two, she writes these words. While my face doesn't bear the scars of an imperfect world the way my son's does, spiritually, we're all broken toys, misfits in need of a great king to search us out and gather us into his land and his people. We desperately need the touch of the great toy mender to restore us tenderly, not just in body, 
but in soul as well. My spirit bears marks of sin that can only be fixed by the one who made me and can turn me into a new creation so that I can sing his song for his glory. Reminding us that, you know, some of us bear our uh, problems visibly, but most of us, we have that problem internally that no one else can see except for God. That brokenness of our heart that resists God. Friends, you may not look the way you want. You may not talk the way you want or have all those things you want. You may not have the abilities that you wish when you feel unequipped, when you don't like who you are, when you see the misery that sin has brought you to, when you hate your weaknesses and your flaws, or when you're puffed up about your strengths and you think you did this. Remember what God says to Moses here. He says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? or deaf, or seeing, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? What God does there is shocking. It should be shocking. God doesn't ignore the reality of of problems, the reality of disabilities like being blind, or mute, or deaf. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't push it to the side. Instead, he takes credit for it. In other words, this passage is reminding us that God has made each of us to his specifications and he will use us the way he's made us for his glory. And in the context of this chapter, God is calling Moses. He's reminding Moses that he's been made the way he is so that he could serve God. And whatever issues he has, hardships he has, God will be with him and will overcome those He's telling Moses not to be consumed with his perceived inadequacies or inabilities, but to trust in the Lord. And we need to hear that today so that we might do the same, that we might trust and obey despite whatever weaknesses we feel or inadequacies. God writes a different story for each of us. He gives each of you different strengths and weaknesses and circumstances as the theaters in which his glory can be displayed to the world. In fact, God doesn't need you to be strong. He calls you to be weak. He calls you to rest on Him. To serve Him without pride. Psalm 147 says, His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor His pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. Or the prophet Zechariah, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So instead of lamenting that you're a fragile and limited creature, you can rejoice that we're only human, that God made you to need him. He made you to need others. He didn't give everyone all the gifts so that the church might be a beautiful symphony where we each contribute a different sound using the gifts that God has given For his glory. To use the New Testament metaphor, we're all different parts of the body some the head, some the shoulders, some the legs, and so forth. And so we look to God to change whatever needs to be changed about us so that we can be faithful servants, living out his calling in our lives, including him changing our stubborn hearts. And here, God is gracious to Moses, that resistant servant who said, Please. Send someone else. And that brings me to my final point. A God who does not leave us alone. 
And I mean that in two different ways. God who does not leave us alone. After Moses said, send someone else, God confirms that Moses is not being obedient in saying that. Because God is angry, the text reveals. And yet, he shows grace to Moses. And I think you can start verse 14 with although. Although the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, he nevertheless gave Moses Aaron's help. Aaron is providentially already on his way. The commentators point out, God knows you're going to sin before you sin. Aaron will be a kind of substitute for Moses. He'll be a mediator until Moses' confidence increased. But Moses is not getting out of this job. He's going to be the true prophet. He's going to represent God. You shall be as God to him. God is giving Moses help, but he's not letting him off the hook. Like Thomas, where Jesus let him feel the scars in his hands, God graciously and lovingly gives Moses the help that he needs. Our redeeming God would bring his people out of slavery and he would free Moses from the slavery of his sinful heart. And I want you to see where the text ends. It ends with obedience. Moses doing what God had called him to do after God here shows mercy, even despite this rebellious request, send someone else. God's grace leads to obedience and Moses relocates his family in Egypt. And notice how the, chap- the, the section ends. At the end of this section, that staff that was Moses's is no longer Moses' staff, but notice how it's described. It's described as the staff of God. Moses and his staff have been consecrated to serve God and his people, transformed to testify about who God is and what he's doing. And what's amazing to me as I think about Moses is that this is the same Moses who by chapter 33 of Exodus would say, if God's not going with us to the promised land, there's no point in going. This is the same Moses who by that point will cry out to God, show me your glory. And whereas God graciously says no to Moses' request here, please send someone else. There, when God, when Moses says, please show me your glory, God is pleased to say yes and show him his glory. Doesn't the change you see in Moses give you confidence and encouragement that God can change an unwilling servant like you and me into those who hunger and thirst for him? If God can fix our heart problems, what other problems can't he fix? We go out with good news in this dark world, confident that God can change hearts, that he's done it in the past and he will continue to do so. He can take hearts of stone and turn them into soft hearts. The same God that has the power to change the staff into a serpent and back again into a a hand into a leprous hand and healthy again to turn water into blood, this same God changes people through the good news of the gospel. And as we think about this chapter in light of the whole story of the Bible, aren't you glad that the Son of God didn't echo Moses? That the Son of God, when thinking of the incarnation and the cross, the suffering, the wrath and curse of God, that he didn't say, please, send someone else. That when he asked the Father 
to let the cup pass in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, not my will, but your will be done. We would have no hope if He had echoed Moses. But one greater than Moses has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who became a servant, a faithful servant, an obedient servant. And the whole Exodus story of Moses and God's people there points us to the greater Exodus that Jesus provides us with. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And yet he says, the truth will set you free. The truth about himself. And he will bring you, God's people, to the promised land of heaven. The anger of God here against Moses doesn't consume Moses because Jesus would stand in his place and bear that wrath and curse of God in the same way that he bears our sin if we're Christians. Instead, we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And what is it that we'll hear on the last day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Now we await that day, that heavenly day, when we will be changed, when all of our flaws will be removed, when our hearts no longer resist God whatsoever. And in the meantime, we rest on Christ to provide us with everything we need. We use the gifts and the abilities and the time that he's given to us for his glory and the good of our neighbors. Just as Moses is sent out by God to serve him with the shepherd's rod, God has called each of us to serve him with what he's provided for us. Instead of saying, Lord, please send someone else. God's people, by the Holy Spirit, you are equipped to say, here I am. Send me. Because you know that was Christ's response to the mission of salvation, the Son of God. And like Isaiah, who said those words in Isaiah 6, you have also seen the glory of God. You've glimpsed it. Instead of looking at yourself and saying, who am I that I should go? You look to the power of God. He has a history of using dead, weak things like this rod for wondrous purposes. Francis Schaeffer uh, points out, consider the mighty ways in which God used a dead stick of wood. God so used a stick of wood can be a banner cry for each of us. God can use you in whatever circumstance, whether it's great tasks like Moses, whether it's mundane tasks, cleaning up, sweeping, serving God's people in those hidden ways that other people don't see. Schaefer puts it, with God there are no little people and no little places. And so let me ask you as I close, have you been resisting God and saying no in the same way Moses has been doing? Have you been resisting putting your faith and trust in Him? Stop kicking against the goads and rest on Christ. Rest on the God who raises the dead. As Moses experienced, there is really no resisting God. It never works. God has been called the hound of heaven in the best sense. That He follows us. Psalm 23 ends that way, right? Goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's following and hounding us is a wondrous grace. This is the psalmist of one, Psalm 139, the runaway psalmist, as I like to call him. 
he realizes there's nowhere I can go to get away from God. I can't get away from his spirit. And may we be able to say with that psalmist, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not a word that is something we can't relate to, uh, Lord, but that uh, in the stories that are true stories of Scripture, we see our own hearts revealed. We see in the figures and characters of Scripture um, uh, our own sinful natures represented and expressed. And Lord, we pray that you would then reveal to us our hearts and the ways that we have resisted your calling on our lives. And Lord, that we, we pray that we would also see your grace and your graciousness, Lord, not only to Moses, but the grace that you show us in patience day in and day out, uh, showing us love and grace even as we resist you and say no at times. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts by your Spirit to make us willing and ready, Lord, to serve you, not out of slavish fear, but out of childlike love. Lord, thank you that when you gave your great gospel commission to your church in Matthew 28, Jesus said that all authority has been given to him and I am with you until the end of the age. Thank you that you don't leave us alone, but that you not only persecute us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives, but that you are with us to help us as we serve you, to strengthen us. So, Lord, we pray that we might go out joyfully uh, and bear your name in a dark world that many others might come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.